Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Marion had been married three times and each time had taken her new husband's surname. It was Marion Wilson and then Marion Brown and then Marion Barter and then, you know, all of a sudden, Flora Bell and Natalia Marion Remical. When and why had she taken the name Remarkle? Had she secretly married again? The unusual surname was a frustrating clue until the discovery of this personal ad in the Courier Australian, a French-English newspaper. One of our super sleuths discovered the ad. Dated 1994 and written in French, Monsieur Remical is looking for a partner. He says he is a cultured, educated, non-smoking, middle-aged man from Lennox Head in northern New South Wales. Sally suspected that Remical may be the mysterious tall fellow she'd glimpsed sitting in her mother's car at a Gold Coast service station just before she left Australia. So we went on this mad search trying to find who may have written this ad. There's only like 104 Ramakels, F Ramakels in the world. And we found a man who is F Ramakel, who was the same age as the man who wrote the ad in the paper. And he happened to be living in Luxembourg. On my mum's passenger card, she said she was moving to Luxembourg. Luxembourg is a small country bordering Belgium, where, coincidentally, Rick Blum was born in 1939. But Sally knew nothing of Mr. Blum when she and a seven reporter flew to Europe to find Monsieur Remical. The man she feared was responsible for her mother's disappearance. I'm Sally. Fernand? Yeah. It's nice to meet you. We went to Luxembourg and tracked him down, asking, asked him some questions, but at the time we hadn't thought that his name, his identity had been stolen. So are you the Fernand we're looking for? Is that Monsieur Chantelogic, so? Fernand is saying he's definitely not the Fernand we're looking for. The real Fernand Remical angrily denied any knowledge of Sally's mother, Marion. He even called the police. But when he calmed down, what he then told them would turn out to be their biggest breakthrough. Because it led them to Rick Blum, a man Remical had cause to hate, in part because in the late 1980s, Blum had stolen his identity. Well, when we found out about Rick Blum, it was like a, a light bulb moment and he was a missing piece. We knew that this was a missing piece of the puzzle. He is a missing piece of the puzzle. And in the case of Marion Barter, that puzzle begins in 1969, when he left Europe under one of his many assumed names to start a new life down under. And then sometime later, yeah. he turns up 
in Australia yes. with a driver's license yes, yeah. under the name of Fernand Remarco. Yeah, yeah, that's where it all gets connected to Luxembourg on the bigger scale, so to speak. Turns out that Rick Blum has admitted to stealing that man's identity and using a fake driver's license that he acquired in Queensland. Well, it's um, more than that, isn't it? it? It's more than that. Rick Blum has admitted to having an affair with Mr. Remakel's wife. Correct. Our investigation into the serial conman, Rick Blum, also known as Fernand Remical and many other names, takes me to Luxembourg and Belgium. On the way, we'll discover that his trail of criminal activity stretches through many European countries. But their origins begin here. It's a small apartment block that's since been renovated in the working-class suburb of Tournai, a town of about 70,000 people in Western Belgium, but it's where the complex criminal life of Rick Blum all began. This was the family home of a little boy called Willie Wooters, who went on to become a career conman of epic proportions. The man who now calls himself Rick Blum made a healthy living from the proceeds of his cons and other crimes. But he hasn't gone unpunished for his whole career. In fact, it's a wonder that he was granted residency and then citizenship in Australia, given his record in Belgium. It was here in 1965 that he was first convicted of fraud and since then has added counterfeit sales, larceny, embezzlement, impersonation, drug importation, and who knows what else to his extensive list of crimes. But it's hard to say exactly how many times he's been jailed because the records here are strewn across different countries and under many, many different names. Willie Wheaters, obviously that was the name he was born with. Frederick de Hedeveri, Rich Richard, Coppernell, Freddie David, Hernan Remakel. He liked these exotic names. He was known to some people as the man with the many names back in the 80s. And why do you have 30 different names when you have a furniture store and trying to sell furniture, right? Great question. Yeah. Investigative journalists like Tom Riddell continue to uncover more of Bloom's past, and they're shocked by the growing list of aliases and victims. I sometimes think it's enough for two lifetimes, right? It's like, when did he do all this stuff? Like, we have three Belgian women coming forward claiming uh, to have lost significant sums of money to this guy. I mean, that's impressive in a way that it seemed so easy for him. It makes you wonder how he did it, right? He, he walks into their lives and within two or three weeks, he walks out again with bags of money, like literally bags of money. It's crazy. And we are talking hundreds of thousands of euros. Uh, in some cases, yeah, 150,000. Like, or two, like two, bag, two plastic bags with 50,000 euros each in cash. In the 1980s in Luxembourg, Rick Blum began an affair with a woman called Monique. Monique, who has asked that we conceal her identity 
became his lover, following a chance meeting here at the famous Café de Paris. She was a schoolteacher, and he was a man of mystery, masquerading, in her case, as a war hero. When I knew him, I told me that he worked in the English embassy as special agent. I believed it. So simple. She was married, but it didn't matter. He could talk. Uh, it could talk in, in a way that every woman would have... Uh, Melted? Yeah. And by the sounds of it, very smooth. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he, a hero. His family burned in uh, Auschwitz or somewhere. Huh? Lots of stories. Lots of stories. Until I found out that it were, well, uh, half were films yet, so, uh, I, because I've seen, so, seen them. But he was convincing. He, he, very, very, very convincing. Did he yeah. tell you that he loved you? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. He didn't ask for money, but he was about to steal something more valuable for him, something he would later use to entice Sally's mum, Marion. So he took advantage of you by taking your husband's identity. Yeah. And, and then... Down the track, Marion Barter yeah. became Mrs. This woman, Florabella Remarkle. Mrs. Remarkle. Yes. Hey, lovely listeners, and welcome back to Crime Analyst and the Intelligence Cell. This week, I'm continuing my illuminating heartbreaking and inspiring conversation with Sally Layden. Now, before we dive back in, I just want to say that I'm so heartened to see Crime Analyst at number five in the Spotify True Crime podcast charts in Australia. A huge thank you to all of you. Thank you so much for listening. And let's get Crime Analyst and Marion's case to number one. Please keep sharing. Someone knows what happened to Marion Barter. You heard in the clip at the top of the episode what a mind-blowing journey Sally and the Lady Vanishes team have been on. The ad that was a critical piece of information and evidence which led to Rick Bloom. Your interest should be piqued. The man of many names who is very charming, very convincing and manipulative and devious. The man who was born in Luxembourg in 1939, who turned up in Australia and used a fake driver's licence in the name of Remichel. That incredibly rare last name, which Marion, by the way, changed her name to just weeks before leaving on her trip of a lifetime. She left the country having ticked the box for divorced on her passenger card and re-entering the country as a married woman who resided in Luxembourg. Okay, let's rejoin our conversation where Sally is explaining Rick Bloom said that a pilot, along with Marion, picked up her things from his storage facility. So 
we found him. I let the police know and they interviewed him and he has given statements, etc. And his weight and stature and height and everything do not match Mr. Blum's testimony of him coming to the house to pick up the tea chests. So as I've said before, the tea chest or the storage, things in storage that mum put in have never been found. Mum's friend Leslie was helping her pack up her house and she did confirm that she did pack things into wooden tea chests. So that all matches, but we still don't know where they are or what happened to those. Do you know what those tea chests look like, Sally? Did you ever see them? No. See, I was working two jobs and work and studying at TAFE at night time. So that's hence why Chris was helping her because I asked him if he would do that for me because I felt guilty. I couldn't be there to help her pack up the house. But Leslie did say and confirmed in her statement that she did go around and help mum pack up her things because she was still working full time as well at that point. She literally finished school on the Friday and flew out on the Sunday. I should also mention that Mr. Blum flew out on the Wednesday. So he said he was in a relationship with my mum at the time she resigned. And then he went to the school with her to pick up some books and things that she wanted to ship overseas. And then they break up and end the relationship. But if you look at that timeline as well, it doesn't really quite fit that he flew out on the Wednesday under a different name of Richard Lloyd Westbury. And we probably should mention that Mr. Blom has had legally changed his name here in Australia 11 times. And that was one of the names he had a passport in. So he flew out on a different passport on a, to a different, on a different day to my mum. But he gave evidence to police that the hotel that he stayed in, because we could see on his outgoing passenger card that he arrived in Japan. And the police asked him where he stayed when he went to Japan. And he said he stayed very quickly. His memory was very quick on this, that he stayed at the Hotel Nico in Narita. Now, my eyes burst out of my head when I saw that because I still have a letter that my mum sent me, the one I referred to earlier with the Luke Glover comment. And that is written on notepaper from Hotel Nico Narita. And a, the envelope is also from that same hotel, but it was posted from London. Well, it's actually posted from Tombridge uh, in the UK. So... Again, another eye-opening wow for me, uh, connecting Mr. Blum potentially with my mum with regards to where he said he stayed and the letter that mum wrote to me on letterhead. Which again is very significant. These small dots, you know, the timeline is a very important part to this, but travelling to Japan, that hotel, your mother's timeline of travel and writing a letter sending it from Tunbridge Wells, though, he's not to know that she ever wrote a communication. So him saying that hotel, maybe he didn't think that that would ring any bells. And then the return travel five days before your mother leaves for the UK and returning July 31st, two days before Marion returned to Australia under the name Remical. So these things, I would say, I don't believe in coincidences when you've got so many small things. But these small things can build up to be circumstantial evidence. And circumstantial evidence is very important. And the timeline and sequence of events is really important here. The fact that he changed his name in excess of 10 times, you know, why would you need to do that? From my work in law enforcement, that's people who want to fly under the radar because they're doing things that they don't want to be caught for. But 
It's not just that he had changed his name so many times, he had so many aliases as well. Now, for all intents and purposes, he presents as a married father of two. But yet there are women who testified to him placing ads, to him targeting them, to them being vulnerable and him exploiting them, to him love bombing, to him making these promises of a new life and all these new things that he would deliver on. But he wanted to take them out of their environment And then the women ran into trouble, either with him stealing from him, taking items that he said were going to be shipped to different places, and then they just disappear. One who was, when she tried to end the relationship, he threatened violence to her. So on the surface, you've got somebody who turns up to give testimony. He's got a walker. He looks quite elderly. He's 83, and he looks vulnerable himself. And I believe there's some PMS there, poor me syndrome, in the way that he's trying to present as if he's vulnerable, there's no way he could or would do anything nefarious or cause harm to your mother. But he said from his own mouth that they had a relationship and other women talking about his history is very significant because it paints a picture of previous behaviour that he targeted other women who were vulnerable, just like your mother, who he had promised so many things to and who he had exploited. And there's clear evidence of that. And I think that that is very significant information, along with the fact that he has a criminal history. And the criminal history is really important, given that he was a previous gendarme in France and his history was in France and Belgium. And his history is is for fraud and forgery, fraudulent behaviour, being a con artist presenting as one thing that he's not, telling people that he was a special agent who worked in the British embassy. All this stuff that just sounds like the stuff of a fantasist, all the while maintaining that a married man and father of two children, to me, he looks incredibly interesting, not just as a person of interest, but somebody who should be rigorously investigated. A very interesting, uh, very interesting time for me at the moment. It's very difficult going to court and seeing him walk up with his wheelie walker presenting like Santa Claus. And my daughter and I, my eldest daughter, who's 21, she was sitting with me and he stood there and looked at us and then turned his back to us and sat predominantly with his back to us. And his wife did the same. She was standing next to him and she turned her back to us. And um, we sort of joke about it a bit, but his wheelie walker looked brand spanking new and had the word hero printed across the back of it. Yes, there's a lot I I feel like I want to say and I feel like I can't say still because we're still before the coroner and I still need the coroner to not be persuaded by anything that's been said and and done by myself particularly, but I have my thoughts and, and feelings on it and I just think, like you said, coincidence. And I think my my barrister at the end of the second tranche of the inquest, he listed off 20 coincidences, which were just mind-boggling. And then, you know, people say, oh, but, you know, no body, no crime. And I was like, well, it's a bit of a problem if someone is deceased and no one knows where they are for them to actually speak their truth and tell them, tell people what's happened to them. And, you know, Lynette Dawson's a perfect example of that because Chris Dawson, her husband, who's now a 40-year-old case, has just been sentenced to prison for her murder, even though they still don't know where Lynette's body is or what's happened to her. But the coincidences all stacked up 
And what's sad for me is that I asked the question about the coincidences and the, the similarities, and I was told that with Lynette, she didn't take any of her clothing, she didn't take her glasses with her, and so therefore there's a lot more reason as to saying that something has happened to her. And I was like, again, we should not assume because of actions that have happened or transpired that my mum is still safe and well 26 years down the track uh, with everything that we now know. And any of the women who have come forward that we have found with regards to having a relationship with Mr. Blum, any of them could be my mum. They've all met him and it's within weeks that they are giving him money, allegedly selling their homes, deciding to move overseas with him and start a new life. It's all the same. It's the same MO that I see circulating amongst all of them. And I'm, I'm confident sadly that there's probably more than who we have found so you know there's the the search continues and it's been very hard because the inquest closed last year at the end of April and we hadn't actually been able to talk openly about Mr Blum at that point um, only through the inquest itself and it was only after that fact that people started coming forward and talking to us and we started looking at things because the inquest had finished and we were just waiting for the coroner to hand down her findings which was supposed to be on the 30th of November and my whole family flew down to Sydney for that and I had to push myself through the process of I'm about to be told my mum's deceased because they'd already said that in their submissions that that's what they felt had happened. So I was trying to prepare myself and trying to work out what I had to do to finalise my mum's life. Do I do a memorial? Where do I put the memorial? Are the sisters going to be upset if I put the memorial with her parents at Caloundra where we all grew up and went every school holidays? me trying to manage the stress and the anguish. And that's when I was put on the heart medication because it was extremely stressful for me. And we arrived in Sydney, cost us the best part of five and a half thousand dollars to get down there with, you know, six of us with accommodation and airfares and car hire, et cetera, et cetera, only to be told that they had vacated the hearing because there was new people that they wanted to investigate as witnesses. So you mentioned earlier that at the end of this month, we will be having another three days of inquest. I can't talk about that openly at the moment, but I'm hoping that more will come out in those next three days and give the coroner the best opportunity to get all the information and the details that she knows. I, she's she's a great coroner and she's doing a great job and I'm really grateful for her taking it on because you can appreciate for all of that time. I think she decided she was going to go to inquest in 2020 so a year after we started the podcast and up until that time, I kept getting told even by the, the sergeant detective who was on my case, he kept saying to me, oh, it should be a Queensland case, not a New South Wales case. So I had all this back and fro as well about which state it should be in and who should hold an inquest. So I am very, very grateful for her taking on the inquest because it is a big story. There's a lot of information and a lot of detail and a lot of time under the bridge, which makes the investigation all the harder. But I want to acknowledge the hard work of the Lady Vanishers and the team behind me and all the super sleuths who have put endless amounts of hours into trying to find these answers. And we together have actually collectively found the bulk of the information 
And that's not to take away from the police. And I, I get told all the time resources are thin and da 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 da. But we have just done it, and I think that needs to be acknowledged as well. So um, it's through pure hard work and dedication to, for me to get the answers to know where my mum is and what's happened to her so that my kids don't have to do this. Like This is the whole reason I'm doing this is because I don't want to pass away in you know, however many years' time and my mum is still a missing person because it lives with you forever. And it's an ambiguity that is the hardest pain and hardest tragedy for people to deal with. And unless people experience that, it's not really known. People don't really understand it very well. And, you know, I was saying recently uh, in another interview that, you know, there's even an ambiguity in my brother's death because he didn't tell us why he committed suicide. So we don't know. We don't know the why. And that's very hard to deal with. And I think it needs to be acknowledged that the why is extremely important to those of us living with a loss to try and find the answers as best we can and at least have some understanding as to what potentially has happened and transpired. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly, allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey, lovely. What's your makeup go-to? What do you need to face the day? Now, for me, if I apply my eyeliner, my brilliant eye brightener, mascara and red lipstick, I feel ready to face anything. But I know every now and again, I need to zhuzh up my makeup and my amazing sponsor Thrive Cosmetics has a full line of makeup to refresh your everyday look. With clean skin loving ingredients, their foolproof products make it easy for any skill level to apply. Also, Thrive Cosmetics Bigger Than Beauty mission is amazing. For every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive. I love that Thrive Cosmetics supports domestic violence victims, breast cancer survivors, and women who are homeless. Now, if you want to wreck from me, you cannot go wrong with the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. Thrive Cosmetics Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara has a unique formula which creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. And they use nourishing ingredients that support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. Plus, it's super easy to remove and slides right off with warm water and doesn't leave smudges. So treat yourself or someone you love and help women thrive together. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash crimeanalyst. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash crime analyst for 10% off your first order. The why is so important, Sally, and you absolutely deserve to know more. And I too 
want to acknowledge you and just what an incredible warrior you are and how brave and courageous and what mental fortitude you've shown and continue to show and how eloquent you are. And the detail, every timeline, every part of the case that you know because you live it and you breathe it, you embody it and you deserve a coronial inquiry at the very least after everything you've been through. And the incredible teams that you've got around you, thank goodness, and I want to lend my voice to that. It's very important for me to stand up when people need that support and need a voice and to amplify. And you've said things just so eloquently. It's really quite an incredible testament to you and your mental fortitude. And this case file is huge. And I agree with you. Lynette Dawson's case, I didn't know that you had listened to that, but I had been in correspondence with Hedley Thomas. I talked about Lynette because that case ate away at me and her children and this not knowing, the not knowing that you have to live with of, are you going to find her or are you not? Is she alive or is she not? We have to ask questions. We have to be curious and we have to trust our judgment and our instinct, which is the things that you've done. And what I'll say about Lynette, and yes, I followed what happened at the trial, it took 40 years, but the circumstantial evidence was all there. Hedley Thomas unearthed it all in that extensive investigation that he did. It was all there. And what I'll say is, yes, that some of the circumstances regarding your mother are different, but that does not mean no foul. And that is absolutely unacceptable for someone to say, well, the circumstances are different because your mother took her clothes, therefore it's not the same. That is completely faulty logic. She may well have taken herself off to A, but foul play could still have happened at B. And that's very important. The timeline of all of this is very important. Circumstantial evidence matters. It is just as significant as forensic evidence. It is not something lesser. You know, I counted up my points just as you were talking through. There are 14 points of significant circumstantial evidence that would be relevant for a no-body homicide prosecution here. It's now up to the authorities to make these decisions, but all the evidence points in one direction, and one direction only. It is only possible for one person, given everything that we know now, and of course there will be other things that will probably come out that will confirm or deny, but there's 14 key points there of circumstantial evidence and there are successful nobody homicide prosecutions and yes you have to work harder on them but it is possible and just because someone stands there in a with a walker just like Harvey Weinstein did that was new out the box with tennis balls on the bottom and stands there with their wife that doesn't detract from the key significant at least 14 points of circumstantial evidence and a note about his wife and I've said it before if if we believe what all the other women have said about him, and there is absolutely no reason not to, then we have a clear picture of who he is. And she may well be under his spell and under his control. And the same for the children. So I'm sure there will be more that comes out. And you have to live with this, Sally, as you say. And I hope the right decisions are taken, because this is a very serious matter. And it needs. it's very deserving of of the attention. And for you, you have a significant birthday coming up afterwards. And, you know, it's another chapter for you, the, this milestone that you've reached, 26 years fighting for answers for your mother, which you should never be in that position. But I hope that you can understand the gravity of what you've done and the 
incredible thing that you have done here for your mother and see it as a positive and not as a as a negative because you really have been a fierce advocate and I know you want to walk in her shoes again you're going to go to Italy and, and various places that you feel will bring you closer to your mother and I love that for you and everything that you you have done you deserve happiness you deserve answers and you've been the voice for your mother and you really are an incredible woman Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. I um I had a lady send me a private message from our Facebook page, which you can follow along on Missing Person Marion Barter. We put everything on there and there's a lot of detail and it goes all the way back to 2013. So there is a lot of detail that tracks back if you would like to have a look through there. But I had a lovely lady comment and she said that she'd just taken her daughter down to the beach and they had fish and chips that night because my mum loved fish and chips. And uh, she said, we thought of Marion as we sat there and ate it. And it just, it makes my heart smile because my mum's not forgotten. And there's so many people now following my story and my journey and the love for my mum and the care that I see come through the comments. And, you know, I have people over in Wales saying, I haven't, I have a little Airbnb that you're welcome to come and stay at any time you like and come visit us and it's just been so heartwarming. I have had a very, outside of Chris and my kids, it's been a very lonely journey and I don't have a big family, so I don't have that to lean back on when I need it. But, oh my goodness, the people following along and, and the, the kind words and the care that comes out of these people who have never met me. I was out for dinner the other night and I had a gentleman walk up to me and he said, are you Sally? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, I just want to let you know I listen and I hope all the best for you. I, I wish it. I'd tell everybody about it because uh, like you say, someone somewhere knows something. And it's very true. And it, I've said many times, it's power of the people. Um, and I certainly wouldn't be able to do this this and have the strength that I have without having those people behind me. It's definitely, definitely gives me the inner drive to keep going. So thank you to everybody. And thank you to you too, Laura. Like, I like respect you so, so much. And I, I know the girls do too. And I think what you're doing in your job and, and your work is seriously important. And when you were speaking on the last episode of our podcast, I didn't know that you had spoken to Alison at that point. And so I was listening to it for the first time as I'm driving to pick my son up from school and I was punching the air every time you'd say something, go, yes, absolutely. That's exactly what I've been thinking too. So it gave me goosebumps. And then I had this wave of emotion where I started crying and it's important. It's a process for me, but you know, I'm very grateful for your knowledge and your you know, you are definitely a power in your own realm, I think, of information and, and understanding. And that's what we need as victims, family. We need people to understand us and understand the ambiguity and understand the loss and the care that is required. And, you know, it's not just black and white always. There's usually a shade of colour that we need to look into and see what we can find when that happens. So, I thank you for letting me talk to you and, and your lovely listeners as well. Oh, thank you, Sally. And yes, there's often nuance. And that's what I bring. Female perspective as an expert, having worked on violence against women and girls for 27 years and studied it with my psychology degrees and all the cases and all the families I've worked with and having worked on the inside. You know, and it's, they're, they're very important conversations. And I know my listeners, my lovely listeners are going to 
really find this conversation so fascinating and so moving. And you'll have a whole new army of crime analysts that would join. And I have to say, when I did The Lady Vanishes, having spoken to to Alison twice now, I've had people all around the world contact me to say, it's so great you're supporting the case and that you're working on it. And that, you know, they don't know that we've spoken because this is the first time, but people all around the world messaging, which tells me how much your mother matters when so many she people does reach matter. out. It's... She matters. Yeah. And that's, that's amazing. Like that just makes me feel very humbled, but I I think she would be very humbled too. And it's nice to know that people care. And she she's a is was a beautiful person, and I miss her dearly. And you know, it's very hard when you're an only only daughter, I guess, and now only child growing up and not having your mum there to ask you questions. And you know, when you're having babies and getting married and all those big key times in life. It's hard not having a mum to talk to and just sit on the bed. And if anything, I treasure the time with my children all the more so for that. And I think Ella, who's my eldest, she has even said on one of the podcasts, she said, if anything, the good side of this coming out, if you look at the positive, because I'm a bit of a glass half full kind of person in life, she said the good thing about it is that you and I, or mum and I, are very close and we've got a great relationship and we think probably based on the fact that I don't have that mother relationship with my own mother, but I can definitely give that to my children. So you got to you got to take the good with the bad. And I've had to live a lonely journey of not having my mum in my life, but I have a very full cup right now with all the wonderful humans that are helping me to try and find her and what's happened to her. That's good to hear. Your your mother may not be here, and that is. I'm not even going to use the word tragedy because I always think that things like this are preventable. But for you, it's devastating and it's catastrophic not to share being a mother with your mum. And as you say, ask questions. And as a new mum myself, you know, and I live in a different country from my mum, but there are still these questions that I ask her. And for you to have that void because of somebody else, that hangs heavy and it should do. But what I love is that so many people have jumped in to help you, to support you. And I am one of those people, uh, a fierce advocate from across the water. And one day I hope that we will meet and I can celebrate you and your big birthday coming up as well. And Marion matters and you really matter. So thank you so much for your time, Sally. You've been incredibly generous. And I know this is a conversation that lots of people are going to really want to hear. So thank you. Mm, Thank you again. I'm jumping in here to wrap this episode. I'm in awe of Sally. Remember when Sally was younger that she wanted to join the police. Little did she know that she would end up spending most of her life actually investigating her mother Marion's disappearance. Her cup-half-full approach is incredible and awe-inspiring, in spite of the great void that's been left because of the disappearance of her mum and then Owen her brother sadly ending his own life. It's devastating and heartbreaking, and one followed the other. It matters that we find out what happened to Marion. Sally has been robbed of so much. So all of that to say, I'm not done yet. I want to help Sally, and I know many of you do too. 
It's a complicated and complex case, mainly because of the passage of time. And I know many of you have been following along on The Lady Vanishes, but some of you don't know the case at all, so I'm trying to catch you up. But I highly recommend that you do listen to The Lady Vanishes podcast. Now, you heard Sally talk about these coincidences. Well, for me, it's much more than coincidences. Rick Bloom changed his name on more than 38 occasions. And yes, you heard that right. That's not an accident. It's intentional. And there's a lot of overlap on the timeline between Marion's behaviour and her travel and Rick Bloom's, along with patterns that repeat, along with similar fact evidence and bad character that's highly significant in this case. Take a listen to this. An inquest into Marion Barter's disappearance has heard her secret lover had 38 aliases. Rick Blum's wife was today questioned about why she never pressed him about his name changes. Arriving at Ballina Courthouse to more questions. How are you feeling about giving evidence this afternoon? But still providing few answers. The wife of 83-year-old convicted con man Rick Blum, who was Marion Barter's secret lover, grilled about her husband's multiple name changes. What was his explanation to you as to why one day he's known as Rick West and the next he's known as Frederick de Hardaveri? I didn't understand why. I didn't get any explanation. I asked him and he just said it was all above board and it was legal. The court revealing New South Wales police have discovered 38 aliases used by Mr Blum, as well as 10 passports. Mr Blum, can you shed any light as to why you changed your name so many times? One of those aliases, Fernand Remichel, the same surname Marion used when she left her family, flew out of Australia in June 1997 and disappeared. Council assisting today confirmed a connection to the real Fernand Remichel. They say Blum had an affair with his then wife. The court heard Mr Blum would leave his wife and children in Australia and travel to Europe throughout the 90s, despite the couple's only income being a pension. How could you afford to pay for all of those trips overseas, Mr Blum? His wife telling the court he mainly went direct with Qantas, but in June 1997 he flew Japan Airlines, the same airline Marion used when she left the country. Well, Rick Blum was expected to take the stand today, but his wife's evidence took far longer than expected. Mr Blum has stayed silent over the past two days, but tomorrow here at Ballina we should finally hear his side of the story. Rick Bloom has an extensive criminal history. He's a con man, he's a pathological liar, and I believe he's much more than that. He's manipulated many women and law enforcement and immigration. He left his wife Diane and two children and flew all over the world. Yet officially, his only income is one pension. Just think about that. Now, his wife Diane was questioned at the inquest about all of his name changes. Now, she was 19 when she got together with him, and Rick Bloom was 31. She said that he didn't give her an explanation about all the name changes, other than that it was all above board. Well, of course it's not when someone does this, but I believe Diane didn't challenge him. I believe she knew not to. You'll hear more about Diane in future episodes. 
Also, it's significant evidence that Diane said that in June 1997 there was a change in Rick Bloom's behaviour and rather than flying direct with Qantas, he flew with Japan Airlines. Also, Hotel Nikko in Narita was where he said that he stayed. Well, Marion wrote a letter to Sally on headed paper from that very hotel. It was posted from Tunbridge Wells and dated the 30th of June 1997. Coincidence? I don't believe so. You'll hear more about what the other women have said about Rick Blum's behaviour. A whole parade of them. And about these so-called coincidences. Or rather, what I call circumstantial evidence, because that's what it is. As well as what Rick Blum, the man of many names, has to say about it all. Until next time, be curious, ask questions, and always trust your instincts. Here's my final thought and ask before the episode wraps. I really appreciate you listening to Crime Analyst. And if you like what I do, please take two minutes to leave a five-star review wherever you listen to me. It really helps others find me and my work, and it helps with the ratings too. Crime Analyst is written, produced and hosted by me, Laura Richards. Sound engineering by Jason Sheasley at Abridged Audio cover art and graphics by Chris Rowbottom at Syndicate and music by Kilrood.